we discover in Ephesians 2 our position in Christ that we live out of this life in Christ by grace through faith and the amazing truths of being his workmanship belonging to the family and being a dwelling place of God in the air we're going to make our declaration loud bold and strong together let's say this this is God's word this is God speaking to me I am who God says I am I can do what God says I can do I will become everything God has promised I'm saved healed delivered redeemed I'm blessed victorious prosperous triumphant I'm a minister of God a servant of Christ and a channel of his blessing to many people I receive his word I believe his word and I live by his word Christ is my master and to him I am in absolute surrender in Jesus name amen please say hi to the person next to you if you don't know them just give them your name say hello happy to see them here this morning and you may be seated please all right last sunday we started with our study in the book of ephesians we were supposed to complete chapter 1 and start of chapter 2 today but just the background took so much time we went only up to verse 5 of Ephesians so we've got a huge task ahead of us to finish the rest of chapter 1 and also chapter 2 this morning let's see if we're going to do it so let's just dive right into chapter 1 we have Ephesians we're just going to read the first few verses which we have covered last sunday just read them again and then we'll pick up from verse 6 onwards so let's begin by reading Ephesians 1 verse 1 Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus grace to you and peace from God our father and the lord jesus christ blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will so this is where we stopped last sunday uh just to quickly remind us of a few things you know um as paul is writing his epistle he's writing from prison he is actually under house arrest when i say prison i don't mean the dungeons it's a little better place under house arrest but he nevertheless he's imprisoned and he's got roman soldiers all around him his movement is controlled who comes in who goes out where he goes is all restricted so he's writing this epistle uh, he writes four epistles and one of which is the one to ephesians he's writing from prison this is around ad 63 3 years since he has left ephesians uh, and he's away has been away from them for about 3 years so he's writing to them and uh, Uh, from prison he is talking about our life in Christ one of the common things you'll find throughout this epistle is these three words in Christ Jesus in Christ Jesus and he, it's nice just to trace this phrase that he uses over and over again in fact in the verses that we read you find it at least two times he he's talking about in Christ Jesus or in Christ you find that once in Ephesians 1:3 again in Ephesians 1:4 in him he uses that so he's talking is is reminding the believers and he's beginning to convey to the believers our life in Christ because we are believers because we are spiritually one with Jesus here's our life and uh, we emphasize verse 3 which says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ So because of your life in Christ as a believer you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. So let's say this together. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing. Which means every blessing which God can give is already credited to your accounts. Remember that 10 million? It's still in your bank. It's still in your account. It's been credited. It's already there. You are already blessed. with every spiritual blessing every blessing that come from god 
that comes from God is there. It's, it's, it's credited to your account in Christ because of your life in Christ, because of our life in Christ. And so we need to walk in that, uh, understand that. Uh, verse 4, he tells us the fact that we have been chosen in Christ, in him, even before the foundation of the world. We talked about the omniscience of God, but God knows everything. And in his omniscience, he chose us in Christ, in him, even before the world began. God knew you and me and the choice we will make to follow Jesus. And he chose us in him that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So we emphasize this, that you are holy and without blame in the eyes of God because you are in Christ. Imagine when God looks at you, he doesn't look at you and me like these guys are so filthy. He says, wow, you are holy and you are without blame, covered in my love. Amen? So when we worship God, when we relate to God, let's relate out of the truth. Now just imagine this, you know, and, and especially those of you, those of us who are fathers, you know, let's say we've done so much for our kids and, you know, you've bought them the, be- let's just take an example, you know, you've bought your son a really nice suit, right? And he's dressed in this nice, really nice, and you spend good money to buy that suit, you've dressed him up in it. And he comes to you and says, Dad, I have no good clothes. And like, what, how would you feel as a father? He's like, man, I need to give him something to wake him up. <laughs> You know, but most of us Christians, we behave like that. We go to God and we say, God, I am so dirty, so filthy. And God says, you don't know what I have clothed you with. I have clothed you with the most expensive thing in the world. I have clothed you with my own righteousness. And it cost me my son on the cross to put that on you. So that you can be holy and without blame in my eyes. Are you with me? So I think we are doing God a dishonor. When we go and tell him, oh God, I'm so filthy, I'm so dirty, and I'm a wiggly worm, and all. No, 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 listen. You need to go before God and say, God, thank you for clothing me with your righteousness. And was made possible with such a great price that was paid on the cross. Amen? So we honor God when we acknowledge the good things that he has put upon us in Christ Jesus. And then we came to verse 5, where it says that we've been predestined to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So God was so pleased to adopt us into his own family. So you and I are adopted into the family of God, brought into the family of God through Jesus Christ. We are sons and daughters of God because we are in Christ Jesus. And, notice, and we explain that word predestined. Predestined mean, does not mean God predetermined your choice Rather, he foreknew your choice, and based on all those who make that choice to believe in Jesus Christ, he said, all who believe in Jesus, I am deciding that they're going to be brought into my family. They're going to be adopted into my family, right? So we've got to have that joy in our hearts that we are children of God. Amen? This morning, I was in the North Church, and Andrew, our, our dear brother from Uganda, so he was leading worship. And he just took off, you know, <laughs> leading worship. He was on his guitar and he was so happy singing the same song, I am a child of God. You know? So just seeing him, I was like, wow, I know Andrew's life. He's a student. He's in a foreign country. It's not easy. They're going through challenges here. And yet he's able to stand in front of this congregation and be so happy. I am a child of so never mind his circumstances, never mind the challenges uh, as, that he's going through as a student in a foreign country. But here he is, happy. I am a child of God. See, that's what should be in our hearts, that we have been adopted into God's family. And, 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 we, and God has chosen us in him. And uh, we can celebrate uh, our, uh, what God has done for us in Christ. So let's go forward now, verse 6. Why did God do this? Why did he do whatever he's done? Verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. So God did this. He adopted us into his own family so that we could give thanks to the praise of the glory of his grace. Just say, God, your grace has been so great. And we give praise to him because of his grace. And notice what it says here in verse 6. By which, that by his grace, he made us accepted in the beloved. Do you know you've been accepted? See, some of us approach God with a sense of rejection. 
I think God doesn't really like me, but you know, still I'll just say something to him. No, you have been accepted. Let's say this together. I am accepted in the beloved. The beloved here is Christ. So in Christ, you have been accepted. So there has to be no sense of rejection as the God is rejecting you. No, God actually has welcomed you. We are accepted in the beloved. And we're not trying to gain acceptance. Some of us are trying to gain acceptance before the eyes of God. Maybe I should do a lot of good things. Then maybe God will accept me. Maybe I need to give him a lot of money. Maybe he'll be happy for me for a week, you know. No, you have been accepted. You do nothing to gain that acceptance. It's a work of his grace. You are accepted. So we, what we do, we do not to gain acceptance, but we do it because we know we have been accepted. So when I serve God, I'm not trying to gain some points with God. No, it has nothing to do with it. I serve God because he's been so good to me. He's been so good to each of us. He's, by the glory of his grace, he's just accepted us. And so we do whatever we do because he's done so much for us. Amen? So know that you've been accepted by God and you don't have to try to achieve that acceptance. You have, it's been given to you in Christ. Then verse 7, Paul is talking more about what is ours in Christ. He says, in him, that is in Christ, because we have this life in Christ. Verse 7, in him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So one more thing, he's adding to this list of things that are ours in Christ. One more thing, in him, in Christ, we have Redemption. Now, redemption is, is kind of a technical word, a theological word, but it simply describes to us that everything that came upon the human race because of Adam's sin, all the negative things that came upon the human race because of Adam's sin, Jesus died on the cross to reverse that. That is redemption. Literally, it has the idea of buying a slave out of the slave market and releasing him into freedom. In fact, taking him to a place that was much higher than what he was before. So redemption has this idea of bringing a slave out of slavery, out of a slave market by the payment of a ransom. So in him, in Christ, we have redemption. So let's say this together. I am redeemed. I am the redeemed of the Lord. This means that everything that came upon us because of sin has been reversed. Amen? Now, part, remember I said last time, if 10 million is deposited into your account, would you be happy? Would you be happy if the person said, you can use 5 million now and 5 million later, would you still be happy? Yes. So that's redemption. Part of our redemption is now and part of our redemption is in the future. But it's already credited to our account. It's yours. But you're going to enjoy part of it now and you're going to enjoy part of it later. So we'll, the later part, he talks about in a few verses, down, versus, a few verses later and we'll, we'll get to it. I'm not blocking your view. Uh, we'll get to it. But here's, this, here's the thing. You are the redeemed of the Lord. You and I are redeemed. And we can walk in part of our redemption right here and right now. And there is a future that's still awaiting us. Future of uh, the completion of that redemption that we will walk in. And we will uh, mention that a little later in a few verses down. But we are the redeemed of the Lord. And part of that redemption, what does it include? It says the forgiveness of sins. We are redeemed through his blood and this includes the forgiveness of our sins. Our sins are taken out of the way because of the blood of Jesus. And all this was done according to the riches of his grace. One other thing that you'll find in this epistle is, is, is Paul uses the word riches. Just another word, you know, uh, in, 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 in modern English we will just use words like man that's amazing or I don't know what's the 
the young people's terms these days, but you know, heaven, that's just amazing. You know, it's like, it's something so big, so great, we, we don't have any word to use. So Paul just keeps using this word, the riches of, meaning it's so big, it's, you can't, there's, there's no measure to it. So he's saying the riches of his grace. His grace is so rich, immeasurable, and out of that immeasurable grace, he's done this for us. We are redeemed by his blood. We've got the forgiveness of sins. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So what he's saying here, he says, you know, God's will, what God was doing, his plan and what he was unfolding, it was a mystery up until now. But this mystery has been made known to us now. So in the Old Testament times, people had no idea what's God really up to. He's calling Abraham. He says, come, I'll take you to a land. I'll make get descendants out of you. I'll bless the nations. And all of that. So what is God doing all? And then he gives them all the sacrifices. And he says, I'm giving you this land. But what is God doing? So it was all a mystery. But now he's made known unto us the mystery of his will. He's revealed that to us. And what is it? It's all this, that through Jesus, we would be forgiven. Through Jesus, we would be brought into this amazing life and, uh, that we have in Christ. Are you with me so far? So he has made known to us the mystery of his will. And this is something that God has actually, uh, uh, he has purpose in himself. That is, this is something he planned, he determined himself. Verse 10, that what was it, what's, his, what's he doing? In the dispensation of the fullness of times, so when this age comes, the time comes, and when the fullness of time, she's going to gather everything back to him. So God is working towards gathering everything back to him. So yes, it may seem like, hey, what you did, what God did in the Garden of Eden, uh, and he did this, he created Adam and Eve and put them all, put them in the garden, and, and it seemed like everything went out of control. But really, God's been working to gather everything back to him. But it tells us something here, that he will do this in the fullness of time. See, God, there's one thing that we see in scripture about God is that he always works in the fullness of time, at the right time. And his timing may not meet or fit into our logical thinking. For example, you think about when Jesus came into this world. You know, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Now you and I will say, hey, hurry up, let's get them saved right now. Send Jesus now. <laughs> and it might be easier, only two people to die for. But he waited 4,000 years. The world got populated, more sinners, you know. More people to die for, bigger mess. God, why didn't you hurry up? Now in the garden, he did say, I will send the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. So he already revealed this plan. But he waited 4,000 years before Jesus could come. Why? Galatians 4, 4 has the answer. In the fullness of time, he sent his son, Jesus. So God always works in the fullness of time. At the right time, he'll do it. And so here also Paul is saying that in the fullness of time, at the right time, he's going to gather everything back to himself. He's going to do it. Are you with me? Now, I want just a little thought here. It's a side note. It's not necessarily what's in Paul's writing. But here's the thing I want you to consider. God always works in the fullness of time. And if in this great plan for humanity, God is unfolding his things, not in a hurry, but according to the timings that he has planned, how much more concerning your life and mine? That things for you and me, God unfolds in the fullness of time. The psalmist said this in Psalm 31 verse 15, My times are in your hand. My times are in your hands. Are you with me? That even for your life and mine, I believe that God's got timings, appointed timings for various things that we need to walk in step and time with God. When Jesus walked the earth, you would hear him make this statement, my time has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. So what's he waiting for? I mean, his clock is running slow or what? No, he's waiting for the fullness of time, for those, those specific moments 
for his life. Even when it was time to go to Jerusalem for the feast, you know, in John 7, the brothers, his brothers also say, you know, let's go up. He says, no, my time has not yet come. Then after a little bit, he says, now let's go. So even for your life and mine, we need to be attentive to the timings of God. Let's come back here to Ephesians 1. Verse 11, in him, again that phrase, in him, in Christ, in him, repeated over and over again through this episode. In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. So in Jesus, again, something more. What do we have? We have an? All right, so there's a long list of blessings. So say this with me. In Christ, I have received an inheritance. Now what's an inheritance? It's a big blessing that just given to you. And you just got it because you were in the right line. You didn't do anything to earn it. In him, we have received an inheritance. Meaning this whole blessings uh, that God has given to those who belong to him, who are his sons and daughters. So again, he's saying, in Christ, we've obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to his purpose, who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. That means God's working things according to his own plan. Don't worry, relax. Uh, God is not consulting anybody. He's not consulting your neighbors for sure. He's working everything according to the counsel of his own will. Verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory, that we should bring praise to him. Verse 13, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So say this with me, I am sealed. What does it mean to be sealed? It means you've got God's mark of ownership. So he's telling you people, you heard the gospel, you believed in Jesus Christ, and now you've not only obtained an inheritance, you've not only received God's blessings to you, but you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. So God has his mark of ownership on you. And this in, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is God's seal upon your life that you belong to him. Are you with me? So God has his mark of ownership on you. Which means all of the spiritual realm knows who you are. They know that you belong to God. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. God's mark of ownership is on your life. Amen? So you think the devil knows who you are? Of course. He sees the seal of God on you. He sees God's mark of ownership on your life because you believe in Jesus Christ. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then he goes on in verse 14, I think, is the next verse. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee, or what we would use in modern terms here. He's a down payment. So let's say you buy a vehicle, you buy something that costs a lot. You make a down payment. The down payment to the person you're giving it to is a guarantee that you're going to bring the rest of it, rest of the money. It's a guarantee. So what, the, what Paul is saying is the Holy Spirit given to us right now is the down payment, is the guarantee of all the inheritance that we are going to receive in the future. And he, what is one of, the, one of the things that we're going to receive in the future? He talks about the until, so the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. So we are the purchased possession but there is a redemption that we are going to experience in the future. That redemption has to do with our physical bodies. Are you with me? That redemption has to do with you and I receiving glorified bodies. That future inheritance has to do with all that God says he will do after we step into the other realm. Are you with me? But the guarantee that we're going to receive all that, the guarantee that our bodies one day will put on immortality, that this body is going to be redeemed, that this purchased possession is going to receive that full redemption, the guarantee for that is the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and me right now. God says, here's my guarantee. The Holy Spirit, I'm giving him to you as a guarantee of the redemption of the purchased possession. So you are purchased by God. One day 
we will enter into the fullness of our redemption. Our bodies will be redeemed, right? Uh, in the, uh, that means put on immortality. Right now, we only have a foretaste of it as we experience healing. Now, uh, from time to time, we experience healing in our bodies. All that's wonderful, but still, our bodies one day are going to die. They're going to die. But that same body is going to be redeemed. It's going to put on immortality. Are you with me so far? Yes. So he's saying the Holy Spirit is not only the mark of ownership, God's seal upon us, but the Holy Spirit in us is also God's guarantee to you and me that we, the purchased possession, are going to receive this full redemption. Verse 15. Now verse 15 he says, Therefore, uh, let me just read verses 15 through 20. Because now Paul is writing to the Ephesians and says, Look guys, I'm, I've been praying for you. So imagine Paul is in Rome several thousand miles away from Ephesus, several thousand miles away, and, and he's saying, guys, I want you to know I'm praying for you. But what is interesting is that in this passage, he tells the Ephesians four things that he's praying to them about. And what I want us to do is this. I want us to make a note of these four things so that we can pray those four things for ourselves and for each other and for us as a church. Pray the same four things. That Paul prays. So let's begin there in Ephesians chapter 1. We'll read verses 15 through 20. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. He says, look, I know how much you love each other and so on. I do not cease to give thanks for you. I'm thanking God for you. So you can thank God for your church. Making mention of you in my prayers. So he says, I'm praying for you. What, what are you praying for them, Paul? Verse 17. That... The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So Paul is saying, here's what I'm praying for you. And this is a great prayer that we can pray for ourselves and we can pray for us as a church. When you pray for the church, what do you pray? Just pray these four things. So what is Paul praying? He says, I'm praying that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. It means when he says the spirit of wisdom and revelation, we're talking about the Holy Spirit who comes to us as, and who gives to us wisdom and revelation, insight and understanding. So it says, I'm praying that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. For what? So that the eyes of your understanding can be enlightened. The eyes of your understanding can be opened. Now remember, he's praying for believers. They've already trusted in Jesus, but he's still praying this for them. Are you with me so far? For their eyes to be opened, for them to see things they have not yet seen. And he prays four things for them. He says, I pray that you will increase in the knowledge of him. Number one, grow in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. So the knowledge of him, we want you to grow in him. Second, that you may know the hope of your calling. That means the purpose to which he has called you to. So many of us need to know that. God, it's nice you made me, but what did you make me for? I mean, I know i got some time to live on the earth, but what am I supposed to do with it? I pray that you will know the hope or the purpose to which he has called you. So I'm praying for that. Third, that you may know the glory of his inheritance in the same. That means you will know how great this inheritance is that he has given to you. So many of us believers, we don't know how much God has done for us. How great and glorious is the inheritance he has given to us. That spiritual blessing that he has put to you and me. We don't know that. And so, you know, we feel so bad for ourselves. Oh, it says, I want you to know the glory of his inheritance for the saints. Are you with me? And the fourth, I also want you to know how great is his power towards us who believe. And this power is the same as the power that he exerted when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So we use the term resurrection power. The power that's available to each of us who believe 
is the resurrection power of God. The same power that he used when he exert, that he exerted when he raised Jesus up from there. That I want you to, he says, I want you to know that's the power that's available to you and me. It's the power that no devil in hell could hold back. Because I'm sure that the one thing that the devil did not want was to, raise, to see Jesus raised from there. Dead. So you can imagine all of hell and death and grave are trying to hold Jesus back. But here comes the power of God that raises him out of the grave. That nothing can hold Jesus back. And Paul is saying, I want believers their eyes to be open so that they can know that that's exactly the power that's available to you and me as believers in Christ Jesus. It's the power that raised Jesus up from the dead. That kind of power is, is available for you and me. So Paul is praying. He's saying, I'm praying this for you. That your eyes will be enlightened. That you will come progressively. You will increase in your knowledge of the Lord. You will increase in your knowledge of the purpose which God has called you to. That you will increase in your knowledge of the spiritual inheritance that is yours in Jesus. That you will increase in the knowledge of the power that's available for each one of us in Jesus. Amen. So he says, this is what I'm praying. Now I want to encourage you, pray this for yourself. Many times when I pray for myself. I said, God, just give me wisdom. Give me insight. Open my eyes. Help me to understand. Because we need to grow in the knowledge of these things. And the more we grow in the knowledge of these things, then we can walk in it. If you don't know it, you will never walk in it. God says in the, in the Old Testament, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. They don't know. On Isaiah, he says, my people are gone into captivity. Because of a lack of knowledge. That means they're enslaved. They're held captive. They're tied down. They're made, put up in limitations. Because they don't have knowledge. They don't know. So Paul is praying. I want, I want God to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That you may know these things. Know him. Know the purpose. Know the inheritance. The riches of your blessings. And know the power that's available to you and me. So pray this for yourself. God I want to grow in this. I want to grow in my knowledge of these things. And then he moves now to talking about, let's pick up in verse 21. Which he worked in Christ, verse 20, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, verse 21. And he raised Jesus up and he set him far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So it's saying here that God raised Jesus up from the dead by his power. He raised him up to his highest place, far above every principality, power, might, dominion. He put him on this highest place. And it says, he gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. That means he put him in this highest place of authority and he is the head of the church. The church is his body. So if the head is in that place of authority, where is the body? The body is also in that same place of authority. Are you with me? The body derives its authority from the head. And if the head is seated in that place of authority, then the body operates in that same kind of authority. He made him head over all things to the church or for the church, for the benefit of the church. And then it tells us something that about Jesus. He fills everything with himself. Jesus fills his entire body with himself. So if you're a little toe in the body, you're still filled with Jesus Christ. Amen? So, you know, some of us, some of us are like, man, I'm not so significant in the body and I'm just a little member here. Listen, the Bible says here that he fills everything with himself. So even if you are just a little tiny member of the body, you are filled with Jesus Christ. He fills every part of his own body with himself. You're filled with Jesus. So you say, that's what I have in Christ. Are you with me so far? Right? I hope you're not getting frozen here. I'm talking, talking, you're freezing, freezing. <laughs> you're all okay? All right. So chapter 1 has this amazing uh, repository of, of, of what is ours in Jesus Christ. Now let me just go through chapter 2 very quickly. It's a small chapter so we can finish it. So he continues on in chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. He says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, 
according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, just as others. So he's talking about our past life. He says, you. He says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. So we, before we came to Jesus Christ, we were dead in our sins. No life inside. And we were biologically alive, mentally maybe alive, but spiritually dead. So you who are dead in sins, and he says, we walked according to the prince of the power of the air. That means we were walking under the influence of darkness. And he says, the spirit of disobedience that is at work. There is a spirit of disobedience that is at work in the unsaved. So that's, how the, that's the condition of the unsaved. We are dead in our sins. We are walking according to the prince of the power of the air. We are caught, walking under the influence of darkness. There is a spirit of disobedience that is at work in the, in the lives of the unsaved. And he says, we were by nature, we fulfilled the lusts of the flesh and of the mind. So that's the way we lived. Just doing all the ungodly things. But he says, that was our life. But what happened? Verse 4. But God, everybody say, but God. Let's say this together. That's who I was, but God. See, every one of us have that but God did moment in our lives. That's who I was, yeah. But God did something. But God, verse 4. But God who was rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Again, that word, with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 6. And he raised us up together and he made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Again, in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So what, what is Paul saying? You know, that's how we were. We were dead in our sins. We were under the influence of darkness. The spirit of disobedience was working in us. So we were doing all the disobedient things. And we were living according to the, uh, the ungodly desires of our flesh and our mind. That's the way we were. But God, that changes everything. But God, who is rich in his mercy. For the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our sins. You know, when we were dead in our sins, we didn't care anything about God. The Bible says God had so much mercy and his great love towards us. What did he do? It says, he raised us up together with Jesus. That means when Christ was raised from the dead, you and I were raised from the dead. And he made us sit together. So when Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father, you and I sat down at the right hand of the Father. He made us sit together in the heavenly realms, in the spirit world, in the spiritual world, in heavenly places, in Christ. You and I are seated on the same throne that Jesus is sitting. Can you imagine that? That's what the Bible says. You with me so far? He made us sit together in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. And he did this so that in the ages to come, so that even in eternity to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace, how great, how immeasurable his grace is towards us in Jesus Christ. That through eternity, we can say, God, you've just been so merciful. You've just been so gracious to us. He did all that for us. Now, think about this. This truth is commonly, we refer to it using the word identification. We are identified in Christ. Because when Jesus was crucified, you and I were not around. When he was raised, you and I were not around. That was 2,000 years ago. Are you with me? So we were not around. But Paul says, he raised us up together with him. He made us sit together with him in the heavenly realms. I mean, we were not around at that time. But Paul says he's done it. How could that happen? In the mind of God, God finished everything before he started. That means in his omniscience, all this was done. As far as God was concerned, all this was already done before he started. So that's the truth of identification. Even though we never existed, yet in God, in Christ, all of this was already done. So that as believers today, when we believe in Jesus Christ, we step into this reality, which in the mind of God was already completed. So we are identified with Christ. Amen?
and we walk in it. So when Christ was raised up, we were raised up and we are seated together. So today in the spirit as believers, you and I are seated at the right hand of the Father. I mean, this is a position in the previous chapter we read. It's far above all principality and power and might and dominion. In Christ, we're seated there in that highest throne of this universe in Christ. So as believers, I want us to understand that our position in the spirit realm is right there at the Father's right hand in Christ. And God did this because of his great love for us. We are seated in that place of highest authority. And so we need here on earth to live out of that place of authority. Are you with me so far? Live out of that position that you have in Christ at the Father's right hand. That's your real position, the Father's right hand. And you live out of that position here on earth. And then he says there in verse 8 and 9, For by grace you are saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So he says, all this was done by grace. God is rich in mercy. He did it and he did all this and he's given all this to us by grace. By grace you are saved through faith. Now let, just, let me just make a few comments here about grace. Grace itself is a huge subject in the New Testament. And usually when we hear people talk about grace, we hear only a quarter of it. We hear only one-fourth in my opinion, you hear only one-fourth of that teaching on grace. Because when we talk about grace, everybody immediately says, oh, grace means unmerited favor. And that is true. But that's only one part of the meaning of grace in the New Testament. Because that word grace, grace is, is, is God's graciousness, unmerited favor. He says, you don't deserve it, but I'm still giving it to you. That's grace. But that's one-fourth of the teaching of grace. What else do you see grace about in use in the New Testament? Grace is also used to talk about the character of God. So when John writes about Jesus in John 1.14, he says, We beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So here, the grace. Now the aspect of grace in the New Testament has to do with the character of God. And we don't hear too much about that. But the Bible calls us to grow in grace. Second Peter 3.18. Grow in grace. Grow in the character. The nature of God. Now the aspect of grace has to do with empowering. It's the empowering of God in our lives. When, when Paul was praying and saying, Lord, there's just this messenger of Satan buffeting me over and over again. What, did God, what was God's response? He said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for yeah. Meaning my empowering in your life, the empowering that comes into your life is more than enough for you to overcome this adversary. My grace is sufficient. So grace is empowering coming into our life. And there's a fourth aspect of grace which has to do with spiritual gifting. When Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about the gifts of grace, which is charismata. It is gifts of grace. So these are spiritual giftings given to each of us by the grace of God. So divine favor is only one-fourth of this whole aspect of God. Grace is unmerited, but grace is also appropriated. Grace is unmerited, but it is also appropriate. You've got to receive it. Are you with me? Right? So we don't hear too much about the appropriating part of it. And I'll just mention this to you. Now, grace is, is God's unmerited favor. God gives it. He says, look, I'm giving all this to you. I'm giving you this life in Christ. Uh, you don't merit it. I mean, it's, it's unmerited. It's yours. It's by grace. But you've got to walk in it through faith. It's by grace. By my grace, I'm just giving this to you. You're this wonderful life you have. I've made you sit at my right hand. I've, I've, I've all done all this thing that he's talked about in chapter 1. It's all by grace. It's unmerited. But there are also other aspects of my grace which I want you to walk in. But that you've got to appropriate. The Bible says he gives more grace. That means there's more grace available. But whom does he give that to? He gives more grace to the humble. So you walking in humility positions you to receive more. But God resists the proud. Which means if I walk with pride... I cannot walk in that grace. Are you with me? 
I got to appropriate that grace. Receive that empowering. So same thing with Paul. Paul, my grace is sufficient. Receive that grace. Appropriate that grace. Make it yours. That empowering that comes from me for you to walk in. The gifts of the Spirit says you must desire spiritual gifts, charismata. They're spiritual giftings, but you've got to desire it. You've got to stir it up. So you've got to appropriate that. Are you with me? They are unmerited, but they've got to be appropriated. So if somebody comes to you on your birthday and says, here's a birthday gift, Richard. Now, it's free, but it's something you've got to do. You've got to take it, right? Now, if I give that birthday gift and Richard says, I don't need it, it's unmerited, it's free. But if he doesn't appropriate it, he's still not going to enjoy it. Are you with me? He's got to appropriate it. He's got to take it. So understand that grace is unmerited, but it's got to be appropriated on our side. And so this life that we have in Christ, it's, it's, it's a work of God's grace. He's done it for us. But on our side, we've got to perceive it and walk in it by faith. It's by grace. Through faith. It's by grace. That's God's side. I walk in it by faith. Got to walk in it. Got to believe it. So here's the problem in the church. We, we mentally assent to all these things. Yes, I have an inheritance. Yes, I am sealed. Yes, I am redeemed. Yes, I am seated at the right hand of the Father. We mentally assent to it. But when it comes to those crucial moments of our lives, do we have the faith? That's the big question. Because these things are walked in by grace through, are you with me? God's done it for us by grace, but we've got to have that faith on our side. And yes, this is what God said. I am seated at the right hand of the Father. When you see the enemy coming up against you, don't say, oh man, now I'm under the devil. No. No, devil. You may seem like big. You may seem like you're threatening me. You may seem like you're intimidating me. But the word of God is true. I am seated in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father, even now, even though I may not feel like it right now. That's having faith in the work of grace God has already completed. And that's where I think many of us miss it. Don't have faith. It's by grace through faith. Now let's go to verse 10. I'm going to hurry up and finish here. Verse 10 is beautiful. It says, we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in it. So, say this with me. I am God's workmanship. I am something God's doing. And God doesn't do junk. <laughs> okay. You are God's workmanship. And he doesn't make any junk. <laughs> if you're running off a factory, you know, they have the QA process. Anything that doesn't match the specifications pushed off as junk. But when God's at work, he says, we are his workmen. You are God's workmanship. You are something God is doing. So don't, feel, don't, don't have these wrong ideas saying, oh, man, I'm just a mistake. Or I'm not up to the mark or, you know, whatever. No, I am God's workmanship. And God, the, the word there is actually the word poetry. Uh, God is the poet. I'm, I'm the poem he's writing. And it's going to be beautiful. I am God's Created in Jesus Christ. He's the one who's given me this life in Christ. Created in Christ Jesus. Now here's the interesting part. For good works which God planned, prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. Now notice what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying that God has good works for each one of us. Which God planned beforehand that we should walk in it. Say this with me. God's got good works for me to do which he planned beforehand that I should walk in it. See, now your future is all well settled. <laughs> what does it have to do? Find out from God the good works that he has planned beforehand that he wanted you to walk in and just walk in it. Simple, isn't it? That's it. Find out. God, what are those good works you have planned for me to walk in? Because there are those things. That God determined beforehand. That he planned for you. Now of course we are not robots. So we could of course go off and do our own thing. Or just pursue our own things. But it's always good to come back to God. And say God 
What are those good things that you planned for my life that I should walk in? I want to walk in it. I want to finish those works. Could you lead me? And now step by step, you walk into those good works, which God has planned beforehand that you should walk in. Are you with me? And here's the other thing. Because you are his workmanship, the way he's designed you, you can be confident that you are exactly, absolutely, perfectly designed to fulfill each one of those good works. Absolutely, perfectly designed for that. That's why you and I are different. Because he has certainly certain kinds of good works for you to do. And he designed you for that. He's got other things for me to do. And he designed me for that. If I try to do your works, I'll be a miserable failure. I'll find myself lacking. I won't have the gifting. I won't have the ability. I won't have the resources to do those works. I'm not designed for it. Are you with me? So the way God designed you is unique. He designed you for the works he planned for your life. The abilities, the inclinations, the passions, the interests, uh, the skills you have. Every part of you has been uniquely designed by God. You're his workmanship for the works that he has for you. So don't run off and try to do something else. I mean, you may make it, some of it, but, you know, why don't you just focus on the good works? Say, God, what have you designed for me? And walk in it. The beautiful thing is God's got that in mind for each one of us. And it's never too late to start. Say, Pastor, I wish I heard this sermon when I was 15. (laughs) I am 50 right now. What can I do? There's a lot you can do. Smith Wigglesworth was a plumber. He came to the Lord at some point in his life. His wife was the dominant one doing all the work. He was a behind-the-scenes kind of person. But something happened at the age of 50. He actually started his ministry at the age of 50. Till then he was, you know, just doing all the things around, doing his other job, whatever. But God had worked in his life so powerfully. He started ministering at the age of 50. And in 20 years, he shook both the United Kingdom and North America. And he actually even traveled to Australia. And today, we look back and, uh, you know, church historians will call him the apostle of faith and all that. The great man of faith, etc. But actually, all that happened only in the last 20 years of his life. After 50. Amen? So don't worry about time. God is greater than time. He's just waiting for you and me to say, and say, okay, God, if you've designed me for good works, show me what those are. I want to walk in it. He's going to help you and me to do it. Amen? All right. Let me quickly summarize the rest of the chapter and we'll close. So in the rest of the chapter, in verses 11 and all the way through 19, 11 through 19, Paul is dealing with another aspect. He, he writes to these people, he says, I want you to know, and I'm going to just paraphrase and summarize that, verses 11 to 19, where he writes to them and he says, I want you to know something. You were strangers. You were foreigners. You were outsiders. You had no place in the covenant that God had given to the Jewish people. But I want you to know that now in Christ Jesus, God has brought us near through the blood of Christ. And he has made us citizens. He has made us part of this covenant and we are part of the family of God. That's in a sense what he gives in verses 11 through 19. He says, look, we were foreigners. We were outside. We were not part of the covenant. But God has brought us in and he has made both one, the Jews and the Gentiles. He's made us one. He's removed that middle wall of partition, which is the commandments and ordinances. He's taken it out of the way. He's abolished it. So you no longer follow the Old Testament law, commandments. He's, he's abolished that. And he's made one new man, which is the church, which is the body of Christ, made up of believers, Jews and Gentiles, who believe in Jesus Christ, made one new man, And together we have access to the Father. We are citizens of his kingdom. And we are partakers of the covenant. We are people of covenant. And we are part of the family of God. The household of God. So he's telling believers, you know, God's done this for us. In the Old Testament, he's working with the Jewish people. He gave them his covenant so on. But now all that's taken out of the way. In Jesus, Jews and Gentiles, they're all brought together, made one. And then in the last two verses of chapter 2, this is in verses uh, uh, 20 to 22, sorry, last three, verses 20 to 23, he brings another aspect. He says, you know, now we are built 
on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and we are built into a temple of God, a dwelling place of God so that God could dwell amongst us by his Holy Spirit. So the last three verses, he brings out another aspect that we are being built into a temple so that God could dwell amongst us. Now here's the thing I want you to think about. Paul is writing to the local community of believers in Ephesus and he tells them we are We all belong. We belong to each other. We belong to the family of God. We belong. We are covenant people. And then he says, we are built together as a temple, as a dwelling place of God. So as a community, now it's true for us as individuals, but as a community, we belong to the same country, same covenant, and same family. So you've got to look out for each other. So imagine you were in a foreign country, and you saw another Asian and you won't know whether he's from Pakistan or India or Bangladesh. <laughs> he looks Indian. <laughs> Say, hey, immediately you want to go shake hands. Hey, where are you from? You know? Because kind of we look similar. And he want to disconnect. Now, that's in the natural. But in the spiritual, he says, we belong to the family of God. We belong to that same family. We may all have different cultures in the natural, different languages, different backgrounds. But in the spiritual, we belong to the family of God. So let's take care of one each other. Amen. And then he says, we are the dwelling place of God. We are the temple of God. Now, the temple is not about a nice building. What makes the temple so special is the presence and the glory of God. Otherwise, it'll just be another building. So as a community, what makes us different from other gatherings of people around? Now, there, there are clubs where people gather together. There are other things that people gather together for. But what makes us different? It's the presence and the glory of God that makes us different. So we just have to grow in that and say, God, we want more of your presence, more of your glory. We want to be the dwelling place of God in our city. We want more of your presence, more of your glory, that people can know that we are the temple, the dwelling place of God in the city. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. I know I've rushed through the last few chap- verses of chapter 2, but I had to complete it. So next Sunday, chapter 3, and hopefully I won't rush through it. I want to pray this morning before we close. While we were worshiping and all of that, there's something I just felt in my spirit that there could be people here who are probably going through a wilderness season of their life. And really, I just felt that the Lord saying, just felt the Lord saying, you know, I want you to follow the clouds. So I just want to pray for people like that this morning before we close and we dismiss. You feel like, you know, I've come out of Egypt. God's brought me out of Egypt. But, you know, right now I feel like I'm in that wilderness season. I'm going through that wilderness here. And, uh, and, 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 and what do I do? I mean, is God really with me? And, 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 and everything seems so bad, so hard, so tough. You know, sometimes I wonder, like, maybe I should just go back to Egypt. Man, at least the onions, the garlics were there. <laughs> but now I'm in this wilderness season. Is God really with me? You know, what about the water? What about the food? I'm in this wilderness season. And I just want to speak over your life and declare that you know, God is saying, follow the cloud. Follow the cloud. God's presence is with you even through this wilderness, this season where you feel like I'm going through a wilderness, a very dry season. But God just wants to say, keep your eyes on the cloud. Just follow his presence. So if you feel like that this morning, I want to just pray over your life and you know only if you relate to what i'm saying if you don't mind just raise your hand up i'm going to pray over you if anyone here this morning can just call our worship team up please and then you feel like hey that's me i feel like i'm just journeying through that i want to just pray over your life right now father you know every person who's standing here god you know very intimately the details of our lives and i pray for people right now who identify with this moment father that they feel like they're going through a wilderness season. Father, but this morning, I pray they will be encouraged by just this little word that says, follow the clouds. Keep your eyes on the cloud. The presence, those little evidences of God's presence with you. Just keep your eyes on that. Let let you know that God is with you. Even through this wilderness season, the cloud is there. His presence is there. And so, Lord, I just pray right now for encouragement to come into their hearts. That the season will be over. 
but give them the grace to keep their eyes on the cloud as they journey through the season. That you will be faithful to them, God, to bring provision into their lives. To send them the manna and the quail and the water of the rock. You will be faithful to do that for them and carry them through the season. But we pray this morning that you'll give them the grace to keep their eyes on the cloud. Those little evidences of your presence with them. Let them have that assurance even now. We just thank you, Father. Thank you. This morning, before we close, if you feel in your heart that you want to receive Jesus into your life, now you've heard all of this explanation from the Word of God, and it's so wonderful of what God does for us when we believe in Jesus Christ. And we tell him, take my life, come into my life. There's anyone here this morning, you want to believe in Jesus. You pray in your own heart and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to know that you're real. Help me to believe, help me to grow, help me to learn. Just pray in your own heart. Help me to follow you, Jesus. Father, even this morning, may our hearts find you, Lord, in this place. I just thank you. Thank you, Lord. Let's close, please. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with each one of us always in Jesus name Amen Amen. Thank you for being here this morning I know it's a long weekend so get your rest enjoy the weekend God bless you see you again We trust that this message was a blessing to you we'd love to hear from you you can email us at contact at apcwo.org Also visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.